and welcome back to the Not So Thick Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Halden. And Benjamin Halden, that threw me off there. I know, it throws me off every single time. We are in the Spotify HQ studio today, so big thank you for Spotify for housing the podcast, and we are joining today's episode by a guest. This guest is one of my former coaches and someone I've known for a very long time. He is a formal, former personal trainer himself. He has worked for the British military and he's now taken up a career in self-help and development and has released many books that have helped many people. Today we dive into many topics talking about mindset and wellness, such as how to be your best self, how to be confident, dealing with negativity and unlocking what you're actually capable of. Please, if you take anything away from this fantastic episode, make sure to like, subscribe and share this with other people. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Ellerton. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jamie, welcome back. Ben, thanks for having me. It's been, a, it's been a long time. I think the last time we did it was COVID. It was. It was indeed. So what, it's been three years? Three or four years, yeah. It was over Zoom, wasn't it? It was. It was on, yeah, I think it, it was. was. You were doing some YouTube thing, weren't you? We were getting yeah. different people on, I remember. Yeah. Or some weird year that was. I, I've done all sorts that year. So I had like remote cocktail parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> had also happened to them. Yeah. <laughs> so everything changed, but good, we're here. We've just been speaking books. We have, yes. One of the ones that always comes to mind is, for me, the mindset with Muscle Series. What do you think has been more valuable to you? Your mindset on your body or your body on your mindset? Mindset on the body, definitely. I think as I've got older... It's kind of, I'm trying to remember what it, um, it's kind of a Dunning-Kruger effect, whereas, you know, confidence outweighs confidence, um, which is more of imposter syndrome. But I kind of had the other way around, where confidence outweighs kind of competence. And I just did a lot of things when I was younger, blindly, egotistically, arrogantly, and got results from doing it. That, and sometimes that's the worst thing that you can get, result from being overconfident with stuff. And I think as I've gone on throughout the years uh, people have asked me how I did stuff and then I'd not known mm. and knew that a lot of it was just kind of luck and winging it and confidence so I think as I've got older that kind of has built up so I was very much a gym bro you know no excuses no days mm. off kind of person mm. going into now more yeah maybe have a day off you know maybe don't go so hard and it's knowing when to put your foot down on the gas and when to ease off and that's the key so everything in life, it's, it's balance, you know, and it's assessment. It's knowing when 
you're being a bit lazy and you need to kick up the arse and it's when you're being a bit too overwhelmed with life and you need to chill the fuck out. How do you know when that is though? Unfortunately, you have to feel it in order to understand. So most people that I know, you can sit there till your face goes blue and say you need to slow down. But until you've actually had burnout and you've kind of screwed yourself up, you realise where the threshold is. Mm. And it's really hard because obviously the best advice is taking somebody else's advice when it comes to burnout, when it comes to, you know, being overwhelmed and, and everything else that comes with it. But until you actually feel it and experience it yourself, you don't know when to ease off. And sometimes a lot of people do it far too late. I certainly did 2016 when I thought, you know, sky's the limit, I can do anything. And then it's like, no, you can't. You need to chill out. You need to rest. You need to slow down a little bit and work a little bit smarter, not harder. One of the things you touched on there was about success and not knowing what you're doing. I think you can be successful at almost anything without having a clue what you're doing. I think if you're you're willing to push on and continue and not quit, a lot of people I think are sometimes naive to that superpower in itself because they have this little voice on the other shoulder which is telling them not good enough, that I'm not worthy. And often that will force them to quit a lot of the time because they don't have the evidence to back anything up that they've ever had success there before. How do people overcome that? that voice or how did you overcome that voice by taking action you know for me it's understanding that and i had this you know as i've got older now it's like i know that i don't have the answers to everything but i'm willing to take action to go and find out i'm willing to be that beginner i'm willing to be that white belt that doesn't really understand it but knows that if i just show up every day i'll figure it out and that's t that tends what happens with a lot of people you know if you are consistent with something for a consecutive period of time you'll start to really understand what it's truly about you know you can read all the books under the sun but if you're not going to do anything with those books you're not going to learn I, I love the um thing that i can't remember someone said when it comes to people reading loads of books and not taking action they're focused on shelf development rather mm -hmm. than self-development and we know a lot of those people you know the reason that they don't kind of take action is because they're afraid and they're afraid of failing and they're afraid of looking stupid and they're afraid of all these things that are opinions of other people but something that I always say is how many other people did you think of this morning how many people did you think of the last two or three hours you didn't all you're thinking about is your own problems the, only, the things that you need to get figured out the things that you need to map out so if we understand this, if we understand that most of your day is spent focusing on sorting your own shit out and that you don't have time to think about others, why are we getting so caught up in the opinions of what other people think of us when they're not? And it's just this realisation that no one cares. And it's not this no one cares kind of sad thing, it's no one cares. Mm. And if you can say that to yourself, it's like, oh, I'm really afraid of the people's opinions. No one's thinking of you, no one cares. So go and do it anyway. It's a beautiful thing because you realise actually the limitations that you place aren't on other people. It, it's on yourself. With those comments, and maybe this is our experience, your experience, negative comments in particular, whether they're really rude or just angry or someone said something, I think that can scare a lot of people to actually want to take action. 
I've definitely had that in the past, but we're talking to our audience here who, I don't know, they're doing a diet and they get negative comments. They're, they're starting a new opportunity. They get negative comments. From experience, you've built up this resilience to be able to kind of bat them off. But for people who aren't there yet, how can they deal with those negative comments? It's understanding that those who shout hate need help. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. I did a video that said, you can't change the past, but you can ruin the present by worrying about the future. And I had this long message on the post. Who's this 59p personal trainer who thinks he's a philosopher spouting all this stuff which I find in the Christmas cracker? Go fuck yourself. Now, initially when you read that, you're like, Phew. You, you you want, you know, when someone punches you in the face, you want to punch him back. Mm. So you're like, motherfucker, you know, it's at least 99p. <laughs> <laughs> but what I did is I, I, I DM'd him and I said, you okay? And he said, no, not really, mate. Just found out my mum's got cancer. So when you think about it, you can't change the past, but you can ruin the present by worrying about the future. He's fucking worrying about the future. And then he comes across my video that basically slaps him in the face. And it's understanding that everything that he said there wasn't a fact. Everything that he said there wasn't about me. It's about how he was feeling in that very moment. And it all comes back to this. When someone is saying something negative, it doesn't mean anything to you. Most people on the internet don't know you. They don't actually think you exist. They think you're that, this person on the phone. And I guarantee you've had this in the past. Oh my God, you're real. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe you look like you do online. This, that and the other. It's because... It's just a fucking phone. It's not real. It's just, for most people, it's just a video. It's just an image. It's just that. And you take insult to everything that's put on there when actually you're just a passing thought or you're just an emotional response to someone who doesn't understand and someone who's probably never going to post content, never going to put themselves out there, never going to do that thing. So there's two ways of responding to that. You can fight fire with fire, which is just going to solidify that person not liking you. Or you can just be nice. Mm. And kindness always wins. And it's a very hard thing to do, especially when someone says something like that to you. Mm. But it's just getting these mental models in your head. You're automatically like, my instant response was motherfucker. And possibly even getting halfway through a response, justifying why I'm 99p, not 59p, justifying why I'm more than a personal trainer, justifying to a complete stranger who I know nothing about with his situations and the things that's going on in his life with adding to that. Now, imagine if I did respond negatively. Imagine if I did ruin him on a post. I've just turned that person from a person who doesn't like me to a person that fucking hates me mm. because he doesn't understand, or I don't understand his problems, but he's assuming that I do because we assume that everyone understands what's going on in our lives and they don't. And... That conversation turned out to a very, you know, what could have been taking on a very negative opinion to then being really, for me, mm. amazing. Because I was interested, listened, saying sorry to hear that. And actually potentially even converted him to go, do you know what, that Jay's all right. Mm. Because he gives a shit. So my day gets better. Hopefully their day gets better. And it's a win-win. I will add, there are complete bellends on mine. <laughs> So you shouldn't have to do that to everyone. But if you understand yeah. that there is always going to be idiots, there's always going to be people mm. who don't like that. But no one who's in a good place says shit like that. And once you understand that, 
that a lot of negativity comes from insecurity, then you're just like, oh, it's part and parcel of it. Yeah. But you've got, unfortunately, when you put yourself out there, you've got to know that you're not going to be successful until you get that. And that's a good thing. It's a nice bar. As soon as you get those, that first super hater, hateful comment who just doesn't like you, keep pushing until yeah. you do. Success. And, and then, <laughs> then celebrate because you're starting to rile people up. And that's good. It's so like multifaceted that arena though, isn't it, as well? Because one, I think the way that you reply in comments can give your audience a lot of transparency into what you're actually like as well because you've had time to commit to writing that content, to planning that content, to delivering that video. And then when you've got a comment that you've got to reply to, that's almost can be the, the real you. You haven't had time to, well, you haven't had as much time to think about it. You just rash emotions, got on your fired into it. But then you've got the other flip side to it where a lot of creators are now aware of the fact that conflict brings attention and they'll play on that and use that. I think a lot of people are becoming a lot more aware to, aware of that as well, which can cause a, quite a, a toxic environment. I think you see a lot more of that with YouTube, TikToks and alike, that the attention is being drawn by that as well. Polarity equates virality. I always remember this, I think it was the Howard Stern show, this radio show. The people that love Howard Stern listen, listen to him for an hour. People that hate him listen for an hour and a half. And for me, it's just understanding that if you're just putting shit out into the world, you end up surrounded by shit. Because you end up surrounded by an audience that's grown of toxic, hurtful, hate, hateful people. So not only are you attracting the wrong people into your you know, your audience and the thing that you're doing because they just want you to argue with people. They want the Michael Jackson popcorn gift. They want to, because it's entertaining. But it's not entertaining for your mental health when people go and dance monkey dance and they're mm. telling you, oh, that person said this about you, that person said that about you. And I saw this many years ago where a lot of YouTube creators were getting big followings, like in the millions of subscribers from this kind of call out, um, content and some of them just disappeared off the face of the earth for six months to a year come back and said I'm sorry I needed to take a rest from my mental health because there's only so much toxicity you can deal with and being kind being positive wanting to put good out into the world it's a bit of a slower growth you know it stops and starts for me it has for the last 10 years of doing this probably 12 years of doing this now but my DMs are great I don't get much and it actually makes me want to do more mm. actually the responses that I get and everything else so I never feel I haven't in the last 10 years fucked this shit you know I've been consistent I think I've Instagram's been 7,300 posts which means I've posted twice a day for the last <laughs> 11 years because it's been easy to post when you're putting good shit out into the world that is very consistent for one you know, posting twice a day for that amount of time. One of the things that myself and Ben always say, and I know you speak about this a lot, is just the realm of motivation. And I kind of say to people, motivation has, like it holds a little bit of bullshit because it's never always going to be there because we get the question, oh, how are you so motivated all the time? We're not. I mean, you know, the past month I've had a real dip, but I'm so consistent with what I do. But just that topic of consistency, just you pulled up on there, versus motivation and like the bullshit behind it 
I just want you to chat about that a little bit because I think it's a really important topic that's sometimes quite hard to relate to people to actually understand it. Yeah, and it's just understanding that I always say, look, people say, how do you stay motivated? How, you know, where do I get motivation from? And I always say this, if you Google motivation, you'll get billions of responses. But if you Google self-discipline, you'll get about 20% of the responses. Mm. And I quite always use is motivation is doing things when you feel like doing it and discipline is doing things regardless of how you feel. If you rely on motivation to get things done, you're not going to be consistent because you're going to wait to feel good in order to do something. Now, what I love about discipline is like this mindset of going, I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. Because with motivation, when you feel like doing stuff, you kind of get the reward before because you're mm -hmm. feeling good whilst doing it. Discipline, you've got to do the thing to get the reward. And actually, when you do more things and start to get the reward and you're like, oh, okay, cool. So I need to do it and then I get the benefit. And it's like, yeah. And actually the win is doing it regardless of how you feel. And I wish more people would just focus on discipline by understanding that every single person that you see is not motivated. And even, you know, if you if I was to ask you, who's the most motivational man on the planet? Probably say David Goggins. Okay? He talks about sitting on his bed every morning, staring at his shoes. He's even done videos about this, saying, can't be fucked to do this. But he reminds himself that he's David fucking Goggins. And that he's he's created this vision in his head of, I am the person that does things regardless of how I feel. Because this is going to motivate people to do the same. To do, to understand really what this is about. And it's about having that first voice in your head, which I say, that wants to keep you safe, wants to keep you comfortable. It's like, snooze, chill, get warm, be safe. Don't do that. And this second voice that goes, shut the fuck up. Get it done. We're going to feel great afterwards. We don't want to do it, but imagine how good we're going to feel when we've got it done. And that to me is really the message which I want to drive home with people when it comes to anything. You've just got to do it. And, and for most people, when it comes to consistency, it's understanding that anything that you do, you're going to be shit at first. I've just started jujitsu this year. I'm getting choked out weekly by 20-year-olds. <laughs> absolutely humbled and it's amazing because i know that if i just turn up learn more maybe in 10 years i'm not going to get choked out as much <laughs> but the better you get the higher the belts means that it's going to be exactly the same and they say this about the gym you know the stronger you get it doesn't get easier because you're lifting heavier weights and it's the same with anything because we want to see that progression in the, in, in life when we see that we're getting better at something we want to test ourselves that's why we have things like you know, competitions, when we start getting into something, we're like, cool, how good am I at that thing? And that gives us this kind of motivation when we have a date in mind for things as well. And I think that is super, super important that, how, you know, getting your diary and looking at things and going, cool, let's, let's do a challenge. Let's focus on something this year that's going to make it, that's going to scare the shit out of us. And as you know, when you've done anything, once you've got that date in mind, everything changes. You're focused on being the best you can on that particular day. You don't. It's it's a weird mix of motivation and discipline because it's like I'm not motivated to do, but it's going to be fucking painful if I don't. Yeah. And everything that I've done with my charity events, everything else like that, you know, it's like cool. If you do not do this work, there's going to be serious consequences, and that's really understanding the difference between motivation and discipline too are you, are you motivated to brush your teeth do it every day don't miss it really it's because there's consequences for not brushing your teeth most people who have a job 
Are they motivated to get there on time, five minutes before they're meant to be there? No. They whinge, they moan, but they get there. Why? Because there's consequences for not turning up, as in they're going to get the sack. Is there consequences for you not going to the gym today? Not right away. Is there consequences for you not doing this podcast on a consecutive basis? Not really, because most people don't care, because there's so many podcasts out there. But you care. And there is consequences for not doing it, because every one that you don't do, you're not going to get better at this thing, you're not going to get a bigger podcast, and you're not going to have a better quality of life and what comes with doing hard things consistently. Playing devil, devil advocate, that's... That's that's toxic, Jamie. Like the world should love me for who I am, what I am. I should be able to be intuitive, and if I manifest it, the world will give me what I want. It won't. It will not whatsoever. And this is a beautiful thing. It's like you're gonna fuck up. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna have failures. And it's the way that you look at those things. And I always used to say this. I said this many years ago. I'm where I am today because I've made more mistakes than most people. But I learn from those mistakes because some people go, oh, fucked up. Oh, I'm an idiot. They say, it's like, oh, fucked up. Cool. So does everyone else. What can I learn from this? And it's just having, you know, as they say, this kind of growth mindset. And there's a growth mindset. And I hate this kind of manifestation, positive thoughts, affirmations. I'm not that kind of person. I'm very much going, do you know what? You're, <laughs> you're a walking emotional meatbag who hasn't got a fucking clue what they're doing. So is, and no one else has either. Everyone's fucking winging it. So just chill out, turn up and do what it is that you think you're supposed to do and learn the lessons until you figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it's just letting yourself off the hook. And that's the most important thing. People beat themselves up. Oh, I'm so stupid, this, that, the other. It's like, at the moment you are. And I remember someone, it just reminded me last year when I was focused on, you know, consistent TikToks and some of them were getting like, 800 views, 900 views. And that's one comment saying, dude, your account's dead. Just stop. And I was like, cool. Well, you can't fail if you don't stop. And, it's, and he actually liked that. And it's like, cool. You know, there's two things. There's failure and failing. Failure is, I'm shit, throw in the towel. Failing is a natural part of understanding success, turning up. And it's not easy to do. You know, whenever I fuck up or make a mistake or fail, I do have that period of going, you're an idiot. Why didn't you get that? Why haven't you figured it out? Get really angry, get a bit, and then pause and go, cool, there's lessons in this. What can I take away from this so I can do it next time? And, you know, like, as you said there, you know, the world should love me. No, it won't. All the world cares about is what they can get from you. You are rewarded in this world based on the value that you put into it. How do you become a valuable person? Get fucking good at things. How do you get fucking good at things? Repetition. Making mistakes, learning from them, getting better. Disciplining yourself to turn up and be one of those people that shows up every day. The internet is very interesting because they have this thing called the 99-1 principle. And it's mainly when it comes to content. They say 90% of people are lurkers. They don't contribute, let's just say Instagram. 90% of people don't post anything. Maybe post the odd holiday photo, but they are consumers. They consume content they don't add to it they might add the old comment or like or interaction that's it nine percent are intermittent contributors they'll do one or two posts every now and again when they can be asked and then you've got one percent who are the creators they're the people who are showing up they're doing the work they're getting every opportunity and they're growing an audience and you can apply that same 99 one principle to everything 
90% of people won't do fuck all. 9% of people will do something. 1% of people will do everything. And I always say this in my seminars, which doesn't go very down, down very well. Let's say there's 100 of you in this room. 90% of you will walk away today and do nothing with today. 9% of you will do something and will have a bit of a positive impact. One of you in here, this will change your life. Can you spot those people when they're there? No. Because it's normally the confident ones. Back to when I was saying when I was a, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. All this. It's normally the quiet ones. And you probably have had this with your business before where you kind of do a check-in of a challenge or something and no one's popped up in the community, no one's chatted and they've just sent a before and after picture and it's completely transformed their life. You're like, where the fuck have you happened <laughs> to you? They just got to work, they just did it. Mm. You know, they just they were just focused. So you just don't... That was me with your shit. Yeah. <laughs> so much. 1%. You know, it's just like, I'm just going to do everything. It's like funny how you do everything and you get everything. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to do, but it's just making a commitment to that person and to yourself. You and sp- you sp- sorry, you spoke about qu- quitting then as well. It's funny because I pulled this uh, quote off in the book that you referenced before, James Clear. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times, without as much as a crack showing in it yet. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it's not that last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Do you believe that there's ever a time to put, put the hammer down and quit? Like there's, a, there's circumstances where it's sunk cost and you need to think about the pursuit and what your goal is? It's about being honest with yourself. I think this is super, super important because... As with anything, as you said there, you can keep going at something and going at something and going at something. But if, you, if you're going up a ladder and it's the wrong wall where you're waiting to get over to see the results and you get to the top and you're like, this is not what it's supposed to be. And you, you talk about this kind of sunk cost fallacy where a lot of people keep going because they put so much invested in things and everything. But you've just got to be honest with yourself sometimes and go, can I? And I always say this, um, will it matter in 10 years time? So if the thing that I'm doing right now, can I see myself doing it in 10 years' time? Can I see where this is going to be? The answer is no. You might want to question what what it is that you're doing. And I think that's super important with a lot of things that I'm doing. You know, why am I consistent with social media? Because I know in 10 years' time, it's going to make me a better person. I'm going to have more opportunities and a lot more freedom in my life, which is why I do it. But do I get an instant result from an Instagram post? Yeah. I've, the amount of opportunities I've had from one post that's gone viral or one video that suddenly the publisher's seen or one quote that somebody on somebody else's pop podcast has used. You know, sometimes it just takes that one thing to change your life, that one hit of that stone. But you would have never got that one hit had you not done the other thousand hits. But that question to ask yourself, will this matter in 10 years' time? You can use that for your decision making. You know, if you are chatting to a friend and they've let you down again, third time in a row, and then you ask yourself, will this friendship matter in 10 years' time? It's like, probably not. So it's a nice decision to kind of say, well, that's it, goodbye. Mm. Same with a relationship. You know, if you are really struggling in a relationship and you're like, well, will, will this matter? Will this get better or worse in 10 years' time? And same with a business. Same with everything that you're doing. It's like, 
will this matter to me in 10 years time if i build this into the most successful thing ever will i enjoy it or will i fucking hate it and for a lot of people it's like no nah, i just it, a bigger version of this is a nightmare so it's like well something needs to change and change is very uncomfortable i've done that multiple times i think if i can give you an example of a decision that i made um back in 2018 was to close my gym down and the reason being is you know I was in a business partnership with um, Grenade and I know where their trajectory was, which wasn't in the fitness market. And I know that I was a small cog in a big wheel. And it's like, cool, do I sit this out for the next three years and enjoy the fruits of their labor, with maybe the exit which they've got now? Or do I make a really difficult decision to kind of close it down, exit, lose everything and start again? And it was like, which one's going to make you happier, Jay? One's going to make you miserable for three years, but you might get a nice payoff and, you know, this, that, and the other. Or you can kind of make the decision now to start again and do something that you really want to do. Hard decision, but go with the thing that I want to do. You know, ask yourself, will this matter in 10 years? No. Will creating my own thing and doing my own thing matter in 10 years? Yeah. So let's do that. And it's going to be fucking rough. And it definitely was uh, 2019 because not only did I have that, I had my son Archer being born, starting a new business from scratch, exiting with a pound to my name. And it's like, cool, let's uh, let's go again. Because I've had that before. I think it was 10 years before when I decided to become a personal trainer. So I, I sat in my bed uh, after getting made redundant in 2012, applied for 30 jobs, didn't get anything got to the second round of this job and I was like this is it like if I don't get this I don't know what I'm going to do and I had that phone call and they were like yeah you didn't get the job I was like cool what do you want to do Jay it's like be a PT you know that's the thing that you want to focus on and I whacked 18 grand on a credit card borrowed my dad's bike to cycle up to his studio and started from scratch like 16 grand in debt but knowing that I'm doing the thing that I want to do um, I'm glad I was kind of forced into that position because I had no other choice because it changed my life. And that comes down to these really difficult decisions. You know, people are so worried about what other people think. You know, like starting a game with a pound, you're like, oh yeah, but you know, you're, you've got all this content, you're a successful person and, you know, you can't let people see that you're starting again because it would show that you're... And these are all the narratives that I had in my head. Mm. And it's like, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you're happy. What matters is that you're on the road of doing things that you want to do not based on what other people think what it is that you do and that was rough for me 2019 because i had to change my whole name had lots of people saying oh what's going on what's happening and it was all amicable it's all great but it's just a difference you know i went one way they went the other um and i really <laughs> secretly enjoyed it all because it reminded me of going back to what i was saying when i got made redundant borrowing my dad's bike to go up to that little gym on the industrial estate which I built because it's very exciting when you're like cool I'm free now although I've got nothing I luckily have just built an audience up for the last 10 years so I had one of my most successful months ever when I launched the new business because of the work that I put in for 10 years with building up and you know turning up every day with the content and doing the work Obviously, you're very good with getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And 
I love those situations. That that's the type of person I am. It kind of motivates me. That would be my motivation to be uncomfortable. But I think a lot of people actually find that really hard to do to put themselves in an uncomfortable position. So whether it is change, um, putting themselves in discomfort, that's not easy to do. Nope. And listening to what you said there, I'm like, yeah, great, amazing. I don't know how many people can relate to that. I can relate to that because I'm like, yeah, get it. But how can other people listening to this be okay with change and be okay with discomfort? Because change, change isn't nice. It can be scary. It can be fearful. Obviously, yourself there, no money, redundant. A lot of people be like, whoa, no, like life is over. How can people get through that? It's understanding that you just need to take things a step at a time and have a perspective on it. This isn't easy, but you'll be fine. And I remind myself this, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And it's also understanding this, that, that your track record for getting over shit times in your life is 100% probably the only thing that you have a perfect record in getting over shit times and in these situations you need to remind yourself of everything that you've done in your life because you every single person here has been through difficult shit they've been through difficult relationships they've been through job changes they've been through life changes and they've been fine they've dealt with it they've got through it and they're still here and it's sometimes just taking it a step at a time and challenging yourself. You know, I talk about all these big things, but your big thing, you know, doesn't have to be a marathon or 100 kilometers an ultra. It might be getting 10,000 steps in today. It might be getting 5,000 steps in today. It's getting small wins and building up that confidence. So it's having a plan. You know, a lot of people, I, I say that there's two types of people. There are boat burners and there's toe dippers. Okay, I burn the fucking boats. I love it. It's like, burn them. Let's mm -hmm. go. For those people who don't know what I mean by that, I can't remember the story, but it was um, a load of people on a boat attacking some people. I'm paraphrasing here, but they were like, right, cool, burn the boats because if we burn them means we can't retreat. We have to go forward. I'm a boat burner. Okay. When shit hits the fan, I was a British Army soldier for seven years. When rounds go down, that's when I come alive. But it's also important to be a toe dipper as well. Okay, Test the water. Pace yourself. You know, people are looking to say, right, I hate the job. It's not like, well, why don't you quit? You know, that would be exciting because now you've got, you've burned the boats and now you've got to find another job. Well, that's stupid if you have a, you know, a family mortgage bills to pay. The toe dipper approach is have a plan. Cool, how much, money am I, how much money am I earning right now? What is it that I want to do? How many clients, products, or people do I need to be able to sell on a weekly basis in order to replace that income with my job? Give myself a, a time. And it's the same with kind of relationships as well. You know, it's like, cool, don't just, don't just end the relationship. Work on it. And even relationships, ask yourself if you're the problem as well. Because one of the easiest ways to break up a relationship is to blame the other person for everything. Instead of going, maybe I'm the problem. So they're all, you know, none of this is easy. It's not. I'm not saying that it's, it's easy at all, but there's a quote which I've got on my bag and I say to people all the time. And it is, hard things, easy life. 
easy things, hard life. If you keep choosing to not make these decisions, if you keep choosing not to follow your gut, find your passion, do the things, life gets harder. Life gets more miserable. And it's this kind of, what I call kind of Ling Chi. It's death by a thousand cuts. It's an old Japanese torture method where they'd hang people up for days and just make small cuts in them. Sounds grotesque, but let's move it to more of a kind of positive thing. Every single decision that you make not to do the thing that you're doing is, is a small incision in your head, in your happiness, and in your heart. And if you keep doing that over time, it's just going to get harder and harder and harder. You've got to do these difficult things. You've got to say to yourself, look, what, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? And most importantly with these things is how can I create an environment where I can't fail? And people are like, well, how can I do that? Very much like you're brushing your teeth. Cool, there's consequences. So how can I create consequences around this thing? And I had a, this weird thing which I said to somebody. I was like, hmm, think about this. Someone said, I keep trying to lose 10 pounds and I just can't, just can't. I'm really struggling. I said, cool, go to your bank, withdraw 2,000 pounds. If not, you know, whatever it is that's a lot of money to you put it in a glass jar, put it somewhere visible, ring three of your friends, or two or one, if you only got one or two friends, and say to them, hey, I've just withdrawn £2,000, and I'm going to lose £10 in eight weeks' time. Not only that, I'm going to keep it off for three months after that. If I don't, there is a glass jar of £2,000 in my house. What I want you to do is take it, go on the most epic night out ever, and just take photos of everything and send it to me. Now, how easy do you reckon it's going to be to lose that £10 and keep it off for the next three months? And the reason being is the consequence of not achieving that thing weighs so much heavier than actually doing the work that's required. Now, I'm not saying go and take £2,000 out, but I'm saying create some kind of consequences that you can kind of fall back on and say, I don't want to do it, but I don't want to lose £2,000, so I'm going to do it anyway. And we can all create these consequences. They don't need to be extreme as that, but it's also understanding that we let ourselves down all the time, but we find it a lot harder to let other people down. So if we hold ourselves accountable to others, be it financially, be it whatever that you've set up, you actually get more things done because it's not about you, it's about not letting down that other person. This is where things like gym partners come in. This is where having those accountability buddies, this is where it's actually going, right, we, we all want to lose 10 pounds, so let's all put 100 quid in a jar and, and the person who does best takes all make a little bit of a competitive element of it find whatever way that works for you to create those consequences for me once again boat burner big extremes mm. take lots of money out shit i've got to do it for another person it might be just holding yourself accountable to somebody else that you don't want to let down that example you gave there, I've got a really interesting one to share with you that I listened to on a podcast a couple of days ago. Really similar thing with the consequences. Um, and it's an app you sign up to or some sort of like website. You give a £1,000 to the company. They put it in a back account, probably make like a lot of money off that £1,000. Um, and then you get an accountability buddy. So in this case, it was this woman and she wanted to hit a certain amount of miles walking a day. I don't know if it was weight loss or anything. And her husband was her accountability buddy. And if she didn't hit the miles, $50 would be sent to the 
NRA, which is the National Rifle Association in America, you know, like all the killing kids and horrendous, and she hates it. So if she didn't hit her miles, $50 would be donated to the thing she hates most in the world. I know that's an extreme example, but what you said there, I was like, that works for Mm -hmm. her. It's extreme, and, and, you know, these are just random things. It's find your own consequence, Mm. but you need some kind of skin in the game and consequence if you are consistently not achieving those things. Mm. Because a lot of people can write down their goals, stick to them, map them out and get them done. People say, oh, you know, don't tell anyone about your goals. It's like, well, if you're not achieving them by not telling anyone, maybe tell some people about it. But it's just asking this one question, what consequences are you going to put on yourself to achieve the thing that you, and here's the thing, you want to achieve. We're understanding that if you do this thing, your life gets better. We need to create some consequences because our life gets better if we get this thing done. So create more consequences because this thing's going to make our lives better. And it's finding what those consequences are. There's two different people in those positions sometimes, isn't there? There's those people who, who tell people and that's their accountability. And there's some people who will tell people and get that uh, immediate endorphin hit. Yeah. And it's like they've got all the win from that. And people saying, well done, like this is great what you're going to do. And then it's like the lull afterwards because now they've already got that uh, instant gratification. They don't need to do the thing. So, And that's difficult for some people to digest. But then the accountability element of it, I remember... So the challenge I've done at the weekend, the 24-hour farmer's carry, I was just saying to you before, Jamie, about seven hours in, I was 90% about to quit. I think a couple of elements that played into the fact that I continued, one of them was people just turning up at the track. Do was, want, do you, want, you didn't want to let other people down. Yeah, so there's there's uh, one of our friends, Dan, who's just a baby. He turned up and drove from like 45 minutes away with a newborn. He was walking the side of the track. I was like, I'm not fucking quitting. Someone else drove. We had friends driving up later in that evening who were driving four hours from London who were going to be there four hours later to see me at the track. I was like, I'm not fucking quitting. We had people who were turning up early in the morning who were part of our community. Like, I'm not fucking quitting. Because I was thinking about those people who had already made the sacrifice. They, that wasn't even their decision. That was my stupid decision to do the challenge, but they were sacrificing their time to be there anyway. And that was accountability that, in the moment, hit me like a ton of bricks. Also, and, you did it for charity. Oh, and, and people's yes. donations. Would, people had already donated to the, the cause as well, yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's not wanting to let other people down. It's amazing how much energy you can draw from that. And these, it, it is these mental models. I remember, um, so, so for those of you who don't know, I, I, I did a, a box jump Mount Everest, so I jumped stupid amounts of uh, jumps on a two-foot box to the height of Mount Everest. And uh, nine hours in, legs started to go and everything. And um, during that time, I there was a giant card, okay? So I was doing it for uh, a place called Chestnut Tree House, and they work with life-limited children. So they don't, most of them are not going to make it past 13, 14 years of age. And they'd all draw me this massive card of Everest to, to you know, it gives me fucking goosebumps now. But they made me this massive card and the whole place signed it and I grabbed the card put the chair by the side of the box and put it on there and I I was just like that they've already drawn me the fucking card (laughs) I've got to do it but also it's just this mindset of you know I'm 34 years of age most of these kids I'm doing this for I'm not going to make it you know past their teenage years 
whatever pain I'm going through right now is fuck all compared to the pain that they're going through. This is going to last 24 hours and it's done. It's done. So just shut the fuck up. Jump on that box. And it's this second voice in your head. That what the voice that you just said there was the first voice. First voice, it's like, Ben, it's getting heavy, mate. Don't have to do this. We've raised some money. We've made, we've raised, we've raised money for charity. You know, people will be proud of you. You know, you'll be fine. Everyone, everyone, everyone will respect you and that. And then the second voice is going, he's just driven fucking miles for you. He's he's been walking for sixteen. He's been walking for hours for you. If you don't do this, you're a fucking idiot. And it's this second voice energy that actually drives you to say, let's fucking go. And the only way that you're going to experience these things is by putting yourself in these very uncomfortable positions. Now, you don't need to be you know, walking 54 bloody kilometres with two bloody... Or <laughs> <laughs> box jumping out Mount Everest. Choose your own thing. And I'll tell you what's beautiful about these things is that they gain you perspective. Because when you do hard things, you have an easier life because of this perspective. You know, if you're going on, say, a 10K run and you get a bit winded like you do an 8K, you get, you get the second voices going, motherfucker, you, you walk 54 kilometers with these things. Shut the fuck up. Start jogging on. So your life gets easier because you've got things to compare it to. But you wouldn't have those things had you not pushed yourself to do it. And there's a quote which I, I love, um, and it's, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener at war. Now, the mentality that you are here is you're a warrior in a garden. So you can go about your day relaxed, priming the roses and everything. Because you know if shit hits the fan and kicks off, you're a fucking warrior and you're ready to go. But if you stay in your comfort zone and listen to that first voice and you, you gardener, gardener you know, keeping your garden nice and things and then shit hits the fan, you're like, fuck, what do I do? Because you don't know what the fuck you do. You're not a warrior. You're just a gardener. And the only way you become a warrior is by testing yourself, by putting yourself through these things. And it's not about succeeding with these things. It's about realising, fuck. You know, I, I remember this conversation I had with myself um, with this box jump Everest about 12 weeks before went for a 10k run and I started walking at six kilometers and I laughed and I laughed at myself because I was like, you know what's funny, Jay? Like, you're about to break a, a new Guinness World Record for something that nobody on the planet has ever done endurance-wise and you just stopped at six kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> How funny is this? And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't a worry because I know I've got 12 weeks. Yeah. I've done two events and I know how yeah. it's all done but it's, just, it's that perspective to laugh at myself and go you know watch this space it's going to be epic and it's just have you know this mentality that i'm able to talk about all started by just getting myself out of the comfort zone and doing that thing pushing myself i remember when i was competing you know i was, I was crap at it because i didn't know what to do when i was dieting but the main thing that i didn't understand back in those competing days was just how harder how much harder i could push i actually remember my first um so for those who don't know, uh, I used to do natural bodybuilding sort of 2010 to 2015. And I remember my first um, show, I came second. And then in the finals of that year, I didn't even place. And I remember going up to one of the judges and said, I couldn't get any leaner. 
I tried. I worked so hard. She just looked at me and said, you can always get leaner. And then I went back. I was like, what? no, I couldn't. I've been I've doing all this. All and then I went back to the drawing board and said, okay, what am I doing wrong? Do you know what I was doing wrong? Didn't track my calories. Didn't track my macros. Uh, my way of getting leaner was going on longer runs. So basically, I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just allowed me then to go, actually, you can push harder. You can, you can learn more. You can do more. And actually, when you get to a certain threshold, like I remember, like a pain threshold. Now, as you know, we're competing. It's a bit of a kind of messed up thing because you get to a certain level of exhaustion and you realize, cool, we're getting leaner. Mm-hmm. Now, now, we, this is it. now we push. Uh, and that's why I prefer doing these endurance events and everything because... You can eat more food. Yeah, <laughs> you can eat a lot more food, but it's the same mentality. You know, every time you're, you've get, you know, you've both done crazy endurance events, but there's always that time where that first voice comes in and goes, "Let's just stop." But you need to get to there to get over it to realize there's a second voice that says, "Now we've done this before. We just need to get over this this one bit." And as I said, it's until you do these things you don't realize how strong you are, how capable you are and how much perspective it's going to give you to give yourself an easier life. Yeah. And that, that, that's an important conversation. I think we had last year with Mo Gowder. We were talking about downwards gratitude. Um, I think that's something I've taken since then, which has really helped. And I think it applied to me in that walk as well, because the thing that started hitting me around that time was there's two things. Actually, the first one was I was thinking about, wow, oh, there's all these bloody kids and women in places like Africa walking miles, miles every day, carrying jugs of water just to be able to stay alive, carrying it on their heads, carrying it for family. And then they don't go home to a warm bed or a hot shower or, or food. They're getting up again the next day and doing it again. So that was one of the things I thought, thought of. And then obviously the, char- the charity element came in. And then the other thing, which was what Lucy got hold of for me, which I'll, I'll play now because I think it's something that I wanted to play and it was something that reminded me of why I was doing the challenge. I just had a message that came through about time was about 10 o'clock. It reminded yeah, me why, been why going I was doing for it. a while. And people were posting about me like, oh wow, this is so inspirational and this made me feel like even more of a dick. I was like, because if this has come through and I still can't do it, then I'm going to feel like a clown. So this was a, a message that came through about 10 when I was in a really rough place from um, Alex Holmosey. I was talking about the, the main purpose and reason why I was doing it, but I want to play this because I think a lot of people won't have, he- won't have heard it, yeah. Be one of zero. This isn't about you, Ben. It isn't about the pain you're feeling. It's not even about the pain you felt getting here. It's about the pain of the hundreds of thousands of families who are going to lose their fathers, their brothers, their husbands, and their sons. It's about their pain, not yours. You're just the vessel. When you can't do anymore is when their pain tags in. And when you can't do anymore is when you can start counting. When you can't do anymore is when the work starts. Now is when you get to use all that anger, all the shame, all the pain, all the resentment, all the betrayals, everything. You can let it loose. You don't need to hold it in. You only need to do one thing right now. Keep fucking moving. You can die when you're done. Be one of zero. Love it. And then when I heard that, I thought... Even if I'm at like 0.5%, 1% left in the canister, the one thing that I can continue to do is just take one step. And then I can think about, okay, what do it after that? And then one more step. 
and I started logically breaking it down like that and it made sense. Give yourself no other choice. And and that's why a lot of the events I've done, it's like there isn't a decision with the backwards run. I um I always have these... T- me- tell people more about this, by the way, because yeah, it's fucking no crazy. <laughs> the backwards run. <laughs> Sorry, I forget the context. So um, I've done a few crazy charity events, very much like um, these two legends in front of me. Um, the first one was pushing a 140 kilo sled for 24 hours, and I did near 25.7 kilometers. Uh, I ran backwards for 24 hours, did 109 kilometers, and then I box jumped Mount Everest. Um, so I did 14,550 two foot box jumps in 22 hours and 38 minutes. Um, the backwards run. So Sorry, I, was that the hardest one with the backwards run? Backwards run was the box jump was the hardest physically mm-hmm. because. With the sled and with the backwards run, it was just twenty four hours. There was no, there was no distance, mm-hmm. really. There was records, but it wasn't about that. It was about doing it for a period of time. The box jump, I had a specific number, and if I fell behind, I have to jump every minute. I have to do f- at least thirteen to fifteen box jumps every minute. I can't stop because if I if I miss a minute that 13 becomes 26 and if i miss another minute that becomes 37 so if i can't miss a minute for 22 hours so the pressure on that is immense because i can't ease up whereas the backwards run i can slow down the pace if i'm a bit tired mm-hmm. sled i can push it a little bit less mm-hmm. but that i had no other fight. i had to go on that minute go so f- mentally and physically, that was the most difficult. But I learned the most in the backwards run. And I always have these things like for the for the box jump, there was it, that it was that card. For the sled push, I had a little video for my daughter saying "keep pushing, Dad." So that was my energy. For the box, um, for the backwards run, I had um, a bell on the start line because I was doing it on a four hundred meter track. And behind the bell was a sign which I painted saying there is no bell. And it comes back to the Navy SEALs where they um, go through Hell Week. They do five days, no sleep. They get absolutely hammered. And if they ring the bell, they can go get a nice hot shower and they quit. And I remember listening to this motivational quote. and said, the guys that make it through the difference is, in their head, there is no bell. There isn't an opportunity. There isn't a choice to ring that bell and stop. So every single 400 meters when I walked past this thing, I saw the bell, which says, you know, you can ring it, but then saw the sign behind it that there isn't a bell there. You don't have an option. You don't have a choice mm. to do this. We do it until it's done. And it's just con- that constant reminder every 400 meters was just the sign that I needed to say, look, there's no bell. We we do this. We carry on going until it's finished. And, you know, it's having these kind of mental frameworks which have, have helped me with, with so many things. Just, that's an extreme example. But for anything else, it's like, just turn up. You don't need to be at your best. Just make sure you turn up. You know, when it comes to being consistent with content, which I, you know, have been, just put something out there. 
it's even easier because I can look at something I put out there last year and just repost it. You know, I can always do something. I can always, you know, and when it comes to wanting to go out for a run, it's like, I can't be asked. It's like, cool, let's just get our trainers on. Let's just walk. Let's just get out the house, okay? We're not going to even get a run. And I've done this before. Just go out for a walk. End up going for a run. End up doing, like, 12K run. Like, oh, fuck, you weren't even going to put your shoes on. Just get started. I think as humans, one of the things we tend to do is we achieve a goal. Whether it's really big or personal to you or whatever it is, you achieve a goal. And then it's like, okay, what's next? What what can I do that's more? And I feel, I'm definitely that type of person. As soon as I finished that 100K, I'd already booked my next event because I felt quite lost. And I guess my question to you is, is it actually healthy to always want more? Like that feeling of, okay what's next I'm not really satisfied it's really understanding why um it's this root cause analysis of asking yourself why 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 if you ask yourself enough why you'll get down to the root cause so for yourself booking other thing why right we'll, we'll do this now why why did you want why did you have to book that other um event I just needed something else why did you need something else because the 100k was such a big thing I identified with that. Why did you identify with it? Because I trained for it for so long. And I felt that there was a lot of pressure on me to finish it. Why was there a lot of pressure on you to finish it? Because everybody knew about it for months. Okay. And I had to, I had to do it. And why did everyone know about it for months? Because I told them straight away. And why did you tell them? For accountability. And why do you need accountability? To finish it. And, and why do you need to finish it? <laughs> I did it for charity so that was one of the big things then also that whole thing about pushing myself through something and just I don't know getting uncomfortable and why do you want to get uncomfortable to learn the most about yourself and why do you want to learn the most about yourself to be the best me to see what I'm capable of and why do you want to see what you're capable of see as we go down yeah. the wires we will we'll be here all day yeah yeah but you see how we started with whys and you had the answer straight away but as we peeled the back the layers a bit more you're now really starting to think deeper and deeper and deeper as to why you're doing it mm. and the reason that you're pausing and that is because you've really got to ask yourself these really deep rooted questions that you probably haven't asked yourself um, and I, I say, well, why was I constantly doing the charity events? Because I didn't feel I was good enough. Mm. I didn't feel like I'd, you know, I felt like if I had these things, these achievements, I could be more confident on stage. I can be more confident on social media. I can say I've done all these things. You've got this Guinness World Record and done all these things. And a lot of them were pushing myself. And the reason why I haven't been like really pushing myself into something bigger is because I was doing a lot of them out of insecurity, not feeling like I'm a good enough person. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that if I do these things, I, I'll be good enough. And people always say to me, "What would you tell your, you know, your younger self?" I'd say, "You're loved, and you're, you're loved, and you're good enough." And actually, it's so much better to do things from a place of good enough than to do things out of "I'm not good enough." Because I know so many miserable millionaires who have wild amount of success because they constantly tell themselves they're not good enough. 
and that's why they get wild amount of success but you know the problem with that is they never enjoy it they never take time off to look at themselves and go look what i've done because it's not enough mm. whereas if you do things from a place of good enough you actually get to enjoy the fruits of your labor and the, the and the worry for a lot of people is that might not be more money in the bank more followers more recognition from other people because you haven't done it from a place of insecurity so you might not get the accolades but you'll be able to enjoy it a lot more and that's what actually matters all the things that you're doing and all the things that i've done a lot of the time we've done it because of the fear as we've spoken about of consequences for not doing it mm. but as i've got older it's realizing who are you doing this for and the the first person should be, I'm doing it for me. And it allows you to make easier decisions. Am I doing this for other people? Am I doing it for me? If I'm not doing it for yourself, then why do it? Do you need this thing? It might, the answer might be yes. Mm. You know, for me, you, I highly recommend that people look up Musogi Challenge. Musogi Challenge is something that they did in China or Japan every year. They go to this waterfall, ice cold waterfall, and they have to put their head under for an amount of time go through the pain because it's this kind of exhilarating thing to show you know that you're challenging yourself mentally to push past boundaries and i think every person in their life needs to have this thing but you don't need to keep looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing mm. it's a case of going cool that's the thing now and then the focus from that is enjoying that thing and constantly question this thing i have this kind of visual representation of this whereas most people climb a mountain and then they walk back down and they're really depressed until they can see another mountain to climb and it's no, no climb the mountain enjoy the fucking view maybe have a look at some other mountains that you're going to do in the next three to five years and then slowly walk down and enjoy it because you know okay cool i'm going to do that don't need to tell anybody i've got that in the tank let's just enjoy this moment and as I've got older, I've learned to just enjoy those moments and know when I need to push myself. And, and it's this whole balance aspect. It's not easy because it's either you, do, you feel you're not doing enough or you're doing too much. And most people that I speak to, they're always doing too much. And they're, all doing, they're always doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, it is very interesting what you say. I think my headspace was very different last year. I did feel like everyone needed to know and that was the consequence of not doing it. And I purposely did it for charity, even though I didn't have to. Whereas this year I've got goals that people know about and I'm really excited for, but they're, they're just for me. I, yeah. I cannot wait. Like I'm so excited to do all of them. And I wouldn't even need to tell anyone I have, but yeah. I'm just absolutely buzzing to do them for me. Like, you know, like life goals, like bucket list kind of things. And I'm like, cool. And it is a very different frame of mindset than I have. There's no pressure. The amount of pressure that I felt last year was ludicrous. I was so stressed. Whereas this year, I'm like, oh, just like, like excitement, which is, it's a very different place to be. Yeah, 100%. But you wouldn't have probably had that uh, excitement had you not, not done, done those the first things. Thing. And this yeah. is where it comes down to those things. It's like, I remember Jim Rohn quite said, everyone should aspire to be a millionaire, not for the million pounds, but for the kind of person that you have to be mm. to become a millionaire. Mm -hmm. and it's this thing everybody should aspire to do something hard not because you're achieving things but because the kind of person that you become on the pursuit of those things some people are constantly on the pursuit of those things not realizing what it's all about about the person that you're becoming 
And that's what it is. All of these things that you're doing, they're, build, they're building you up as a person. They're building up your, at least they should be building up your confidence, building up your self-esteem, building up your perspective and increasing your happiness over time. And if they're not, it's like, cool, why am I doing all these things? Mm. Let's go back to those deep whys and find out the root cause for them. Because you might just want to either slow down and change a few things or not, you know. And if you ask yourself enough whys, you know, if we spent next half an hour on that, we'd we'll get, <laughs> get some really deep questions. I was, I was trying to look at those traits. And when you speak about millionaires and successful people, I think there's been a couple of, there's like three traits mentioned of, highly successful people yeah I think people. Alex said about being wildly insecure yeah superiority complex impulse control and then something about being in insecure yeah um, the superiority the superiority complex I, I not necessarily disagree with um, what does that mean sorry so so there's there's two things superiority complex is people who think they're better than everyone okay. and an inferior complex is people think that they're not as good as everybody else because they're two opposite things. And people think, you know, coming back from a bodybuilding background, people think that bodybuilders have a superiority complex. They don't. They have an inferiority complex. They don't think they're good enough, which is why they're fucking massive. Because they look in the mirror and go, you're tiny. They don't go, oh, I'm good enough. You know, or I'm better than other people. Because yeah. usually, if you think that you're better than other people, you don't work as hard. If you think that you're better than everybody else. I find most people who have superiority complexes are, uh, don't have anything. They genuinely think they're better than anybody else without having to do the fucking work. Mm. I see so many people who are very unsuccessful who have superiority complexes. It's usually what I find that super successful people have inferiority complexes. Mm -hmm. And I, I won't go into now, but I remember getting into an altercation with... Uh, one of my family members' exes who had nothing, absolutely nothing, but he genuinely thought he's better than everyone in the room. And he had nothing. And it was so amazing to see him square up to me in this place and me go, you, you genuinely think you're better than people. I didn't say this to him, but it just, mm -hmm. it made me realize the, dip, the main difference is like, you know, like he won't do the work or do anything because he already thinks he's there. Mm. It reminds me of a time when, again, we were speaking about BJJ and Muay Thai before. I went out on the uh, first Christmas night out for with the Muay Thai guys, about 20 of us. And I remember we were in a bar and there's this bunch of dudes, big bodybuilder guys, and you know the way a lot of bodybuilders try to create more space, uh, change their body language to be more dominant and aggressive, more alpha. And it was like the complete opposite to the guys who I was with who'd been training Muay Thai for like 10 years because they they have a, a, an inner confidence from practice, whereas the other guys who have that uh, inferiority complex, they they have to create that that feeling to make themselves feel big. And I, I remember like one of them stumbling over to one of, by one of our tables and I think they stumbled into the guy, he's a, a Thai guy who, who runs, runs the gym and he started like squaring up. I was like, mate, you just... Pick, choose, choose choose a better fight um but it, that's kind of like it really shows that aspect of it in terms of the way that the the guys from the the muay thai gym would act as opposed to the the bodybuilder yeah. kind of well, guy and that's one of the the, the easiest ways to, to kind of sum it up i suppose in a yeah in a social situation warriors in gardens yeah yeah sit there and be calm because they know shit hits the fan 
let's fucking go. Train train every day for this shit. Um, so yeah, it's this inner calmness. And actually things magical things happen when you have that calmness. You know, I think I remember seeing an uh, analogy about uh lakes and rivers. And rivers are very shallow. And if you think of a shallow river, it makes a lot of fucking noise. But the deeper the lake, the more quiet it is. So the deeper the wisdom, the deeper the knowledge, the deeper the things in your life, the more calm you are. So if you're a shallow, shouty river, you don't have much depth to you. If you're a nice, peaceful, calm lake, shows a, a, there's a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. behind that. You would touch on confidence before, and I think this is a really strong topic and a lot of people say oh they were they were born confident were they or is it the environment that they are then brought up in i don't i don't know if you come out of the womb and as a confident kid or well you fake it till you make it you kind of fake it till you make it but like I, i'm quite a confident person um but i definitely have my insecurities that pull me back quite a lot and that's probably through environment i don't think that i was born necessarily i was a very very shy child for, and the thought of me doing this now, like, you know, years ago, not impossible. Um, so, yeah, the topic of confidence and people increasing their own confidence and are, are they born in that way? Sometimes. You know, environment dictates performance. So if you are in a, a an environment, like I look at my kids and they're super confident. But I would say that children don't learn they absorb. They just mm. see that we're confident, we just do everything, and they, they just absorb that and they're just like, well... You know, that's the way that we that we are. So it, it depends on what you've absorbed. Mm. But just because you have doesn't mean that you you can change. You can't change it. You know, people always look at me and say, you know, when it comes to confidence. And I, just immediately when you said that, I remember I joined the army at seventeen. I was bawling my eyes out before I left. I threw up twice on the train there because I'd never been away from home ever. Um, and it was a very scary time, mm. but it completely changed my life because I had to get super uncomfortable with bags of uncertainty to do that. And time and time again, I've had those kind of things where I built it up from the age of 17, doing those hard things, doing the things that I didn't want to do. And I remember my first, I always talk about my first uh, seminar that I did and that was in 2012 yeah 2012 I was doing a comp rep seminar and I thought about 10 people would register but 85 people registered for it and I remember I threw up in the toilet beforehand so I was so nervous I'd never you know never spoken for like three or four hours in this seminar place to 80 people who were only there who were paying money to listen to me And I was just so nervous. I remember mumbling the first kind of couple of minutes, but then I just got into my stride. And public speaking is definitely the thing that people say. It's, you know, people would rather set themselves on fire or drown than do public speaking. But the only way you get better in public speaking is what? More public speaking. Mm -hmm. People always say to me, I'm shit at video. I'm like, how many many videos do you do? None. There's always going to be shit. Mm -hmm. It's, It's getting over those uncomfortable things. And it's that repetition. And that's confidence. You'll be shit at first, but as you get better, as you do more, you build that confidence. And it's about doing those small wins. You know, a lot of people look very much looking to lose weight, lose 10 pounds. It's like, cool. But every day that you jump on the scale, 
and you're not that 10 pounds lighter, that's going to knock your confidence. But you're looking at the outcome rather than the habits. And it's easier to say to someone, well, I'll tell you what, just focus on today. Mm-hmm. 10,000 steps, two litres of water, three meals and a sn- one snack. Let's get those ticks of the box. Let's aim for a seven-day streak. Let's aim for a 14-day streak. And then let's jump on the scale. You're like, fucking hell, three pounds down. It's like, cool. Small wins consistently turn to big wins over time. And it's that kind of mentality. I always say, um, you know, a lot of people say to me in January, Jay, what's your top 30 books to change your life? And I always have this kind of mindset of going, cool, imagine this. I get, I purchase those 30 books for you. And I put them on your desk and go, if you get through those this year, that will change your life. But, oh, thanks, Jay. January, you've smashed through six. You're in there. Like, six down, 24 to go. February got a bit busier, only got four. March, it's March now, isn't it? Managed to get two. Well done. April, just really stressful. I've got one book. Okay, still not even halfway there. Okay, and then it goes down to one book every two months, and then this, that, and the other. And the reason being is that you're going hell for leather, thinking that when I get to the end of these books, it will change my life. And it's the same with weight loss. Like, lose that 10 pounds as quickly as possible, it will change my life. If I just took away those 30 books and said, right, here's the one book. You're going to read one chapter a day. And once you finish in 12 to 14 days, let me know and I'll give you the next book. Mm. And I just want you to make a 10 to 15 minute commitment every morning or every evening to tick that off and get it done. Because everyone's got 15 minutes to read a chapter of a book. Most self-development books, 10 to 12 chapters. Which means if you did it that way, you'd probably read 30 to 34 books in the year. And it comes down to the small things done consistently turn to big things over time. You just say, I'm going to increase my steps 2,000 a day. 2,000, 14,000 a week. Let's compound that over the year. Um, say 300 to 400,000 steps. We understand that 10,000 steps equates to 400 calories. We do the math on that. If we change nothing and we knew we were in a deficit for that compounded over the year, maybe seven to eight pounds extra weight loss within the year. All because you've made a small commitment to do 2,000 steps or park your car a couple of miles away from work and walk there and back. And people just don't think of those small compound effects of those habits because they're easy to do. And when you start to see wins from just turning up and doing those simple things, it's very easy to be consistent with them. I think it's also important what you said there about, I think I've definitely grown in confidence by taking action. I have never been that big on, like you said at the start, the positive affirmations because it's kind of, there's kind of no evidence to back up what you're saying until you actually do the thing. So when I started getting away from, I'm still like, you're inspirational, you can do this, you got, I think that's important, self-belief, I've got a lot of self-belief, but I'm not, there's also now a lot more evidence to kind of back up what I'm saying, and the more action that I take, it it backs me up more, so when we started podcasting, I was kind of like, you can do this, you got this, I'm like, whoa, but we need to start doing more podcasts and start reading, and you will be better, and then I, the confidence grew as I started to take the action, because I'm not... If people do positive affirmations stuff all the time and it's their everything, I think they also need to look at doing doing the thing, not just 
Does that make sense? I, th- yeah. I think some people become delusional as well. I think some people get told on social media now they're so great all the, t- all the fucking time. They believe it. And then when they come up against anything, they don't have any evidence to then back it up. Yeah. And but I think it's this as well. I mean, I remember years and years ago, a guy called Russell Brunson, um, he owns this software company called ClickFunnels, really good marketer. And he talks very much about this attractive character model. And one of the two attributes of it are um, the kind of the charismatic leader, the person who knows everything. And then you've got this other person who's kind of the reluctant hero. And I love this because you can be inspirational and not know fuck all. You can motivate people and not know anything because there's a massive difference with these kind of insecurities. If you are aiming to be this leader and know everything, you have to build up the knowledge in order to be that which most people don't so you're you have crippling you know confidence issues because you're you're not quite there yet mm. you know something that you said to me Lucy was that you had a publisher speak to you and you said give me five years and it's like do it now mm. I know you have maybe not got time but you're waiting to write the perfect book I'm about this year to write my third book but I said it's my first book because the other two were just practice runs. Yes, they sold loads. But if I'm not embarrassed by my first book, then I, I, I wrote it too late. And you're, you know, in your head, it's like, cool, write the book. Because that's not going to be the book. The book will be book eight, book nine. That's the thing that people remember. And it's the process of getting stuff down onto paper that you make think that you learn so much yourself. Fucking hell, I know all this stuff. But until you put yourself in that situation where you've got a publisher, you've got to do a book, you put the pressure on mm-hmm. and there's consequences because they're going to pay you money and it needs to be submitted to them at a certain time. It's amazing the kind of person that you become and the, the writer you become and the, the thing that you produce with that pressure on. If you keep saying, oh, I'll wait five years, the book that you write in five years could be so much better if that's your third book in five years' time rather than just mm-hmm. focusing on starting now and becoming an author and then getting better. And it's just the whole process. So going back to this uh, leader, you have these confidence issues because you have to know all the information in order to be that person. Whereas the reluctant hero is great. And this is what works well on YouTube. This is what works on TikTok. This what works well on everything. So I don't know the answers, but follow me on this journey as I discover them. So I'm just going to do jujitsu. I don't. I don't even have to tie my fucking belt. But follow me on this journey because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's motivational because someone's like, oh, I'm a bit worried about starting jujitsu, but this guy ain't got fucking glue. I'm going to follow him, and that's like actually going to motivate me to do it because if he's confident enough in himself to not know the answers, then I'm confident enough to do that thing. Mm. And there's lots of people in fitness go. I'm looking to you know I've seen these guys on TikTok who've lost like hundred pounds, and they started going, look at the size of me. I don't know what I'm doing, but follow me. I make all the mistakes and I'm going to document and actually that's enabled them to learn more because they've built a community they've been more consistent because they've got that accountability to the internet and they achieve those results but they also achieve a massive audience because mm. there's some people that are very much inspired by somebody and they like to follow somebody on a journey of learning about themselves and not knowing the answers and not being that leader having all the answers but guess what happens when you become that person you end up becoming the leader because you find all the answers, because you make all the mistakes for, for people. So don't feel that you need to know, have all the answers. Don't feel that you need to know. The most humbling thing that you can do is put your hand on and go, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But follow me and find out. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Because you'll learn so much more. 
with that. And actually, that's so much. I'd rather follow a person like that than someone who's just spanned. I know everything. Because, you know, most of those people who are saying that they do probably don't. And they're really, you know, they have those confidence issues because they feel they have to know all the answers to everything. Um, the best response that I have on my Q&As, people worry about going live and that. And one of the things I remember always speaking at expos was what if I don't know the answer to something? Tell them you don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Because mm -hmm. an expert isn't the person who has all the answers. It's like the response to me is I don't know, but I know someone who does. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at doctors. They don't have all the answers. They get referred to specialists. And that is a true expert. So I, I don't know, but I know that that, I know somebody who deals with that. So go and speak to them. Better to fail when no one's watching. Yeah. I was um, just looking at this. I think it was last week. I was reading a bit of a piece on uh, Elite CV and it was talking about uh, life failures and how 98% of people die without fulfilling their goals and their dreams, meaning only 2% of people become successful in life. Obviously, depending on how you define success. Yeah. been thinking a lot about death recently. Uh, it's something I've not really thought too much about before. I don't know why it's cropped up. Maybe it's because we spoke about having, say, having kids that. and we did a podcast last week with the guy... Uh, King Akima, let me see him. He's the running guy who was diagnosed about two years yeah. ago. He's got about three years left to live. Then yeah. that kind of spared things on a little bit. And I was thinking about the the version of me, or the two different versions of me that could walk into the room of my deathbed and the guy who'd done everything, ticked everything off, and the guy who could be lying there and be feeling unfulfilled that's probably swayed some of the decisions do you ever get worried about coming to the a point of your life where you haven't ticked off the boxes of what you wish you still want to do i think about death every day every morning i wake up i think about the day that it all finishes and every time i go on a flight i ask myself a question and it's weird I, I, i've never told someone this it's like, whenever I'm on a plane, I always say to myself, if the plane crashes right now, will you be happy with what you've done? And all the time, the answer is yes. Because I always remind myself, I'm like, cool, you've done this, you've done that. You know, I feel like I've raised my kids, that they'll, you know, look back and all these things. So I'm constantly, every day, having that kind of thought to myself. And because of that, I'm always asking myself that question. Am I happy with the things that I'm doing? And the answer is yes, because I'm always thinking of it. And a lot of people, as you said, you don't think of death. Um, it's very much something that's on my mind all the time because actually that is the thing. There's a stoic quote on my arm that says, memento mori, and it's remember that you have to die. People say, oh, that's morbid. It's like, no, what it says is it, it reminds you that you have to live. And a lot of stoic practices are very much based in that so there's a obviously we all know the mental health benefits of gratitude okay always in my journal saying what you're grateful for the thing that i find with people that i'm grateful for my family grateful for this and it just becomes this autopilot mm -hmm. thing that they say 
And there's this thing called um, that searches is called negative visualization. And what how that works is this. Cool, I'm grateful for my children. And and hang with me because it's a bit somber, but let's bring it back. Okay. So I'm grateful for my kids. Of course I am. But negative visualization is visualizing getting a phone call from the police to say that there's been a car accident and unfortunately your kids aren't here anymore. And just feeling that emotion right now makes me think, oh, how much I love my fucking kids. So it's not dwelling on the emotion. It's mm. realizing that most things that you love are when they're gone. Do you often sit with that thought? Very briefly. How does it make you feel? Horrible. But guess what happens after that? I put my phone down. I spend time with my kids. I go, fuck this shit that I'm focused on because, you know, I, you know, Archer sometimes jumps on my back because I'm just trying to get a piece of content done. I'm like, Archer, just wait. Let me fucking do this. And sometimes the visualize thing goes, fuck, it's a fuck. Mm, I'll yeah. do it later. He wants to play trains. Because that visualization makes me realize and constantly reminds myself is this thing that's going on right now will, won't exist in 15 years' time. And I'll look, in 15 years' time, I'll look back and go, God, remember that time you were on your phone getting your social media done when Archer wanted to play trains with you? Like, you're never going to get that back again. Mm. And it's this kind of thing as, as well, like, let's go back to this pandemic period. One of the things that I had on my doorstep was the beach. I'm always doing my sea dips. And the amount of people in lockdown was like, oh, I'm so envious that you live by the beach. And I remember speaking to people and go, when's the last time you were at the beach? And they're like, about a year ago. And it wasn't until it was taken away from them that they realized how much that would be awesome. Yeah. So it's a, it's a negative visualization because it's an actual fact that they can't go to the beach for the next six months because they're in lockdown. So imagine, if you will, thinking of all the things that you're grateful for and then imagine them being taken away. What that enables you to do is take action on those things and go, and actually, you know, I'm grateful for my kids. So if you're grateful for them, play with them now. If you're grateful for the beach and you haven't been for a year, fucking go to the beach. If you're grateful for a friendship of somebody and you haven't said anything to them or you haven't rung them up or appreciate or haven't, you know, gone and seen them for a while, go and fucking see them. But we have to experience that kind of mm-hmm. loss in order to really appreciate something. Why wait until that thing happens when we can vision it in our head, get that feeling now, and then act upon it? And that that's not my thing. It's, it's called negative visualization. It's been thousands of years old. And I think it's such a powerful thing to really force gratitude on. I think someone else was speaking about something in a similar context when they were talking about, because we often take time for granted, and about thinking about how often at this point in your life you see your parents and then trying to average that out over a month, over a year, and then working out how many years they've got left to live and then thinking about how many times you go and to see your parents so that you make that time valuable, which I think is difficult because I haven't even got kids yet and I sometimes think about, as you may have done, when they're young, you're like the coolest person on earth, you're the centre of the universe and then they're going to get to that point of being 15, 16, like... Get off my back, Dad. Let me be, and they're gonna be gone and leaving home. Like I've, I don't know why I sometimes think about that. I think when I spend so much time training for the world record, my head is just going in different places. 
and you often then get people like i haven't got enough time to do this i haven't got enough time to do that um and and that's a, i think a, a whole different statement to dissect in itself when we talk about time but i think then even reflecting back to death if we didn't have that end point i think even if we were lived lived to infinity and time wasn't of essence or time was shorter i think we'd still end up getting the same amount of things done it's just not a priority you know yeah. like i would I say easy things are hard to do okay it took me three weeks to ring the sky to get my ball band fixed because <laughs> it's just fucking epic <laughs> it's easy to do just ring them and get it sorted and it's like oh that was easy it's like yeah it took you three weeks to do um it's very easy to ring your parents it's very easy to pop around and see them for most people um, not for everyone, um, which is why you don't do it. But it's until you need to ref- you need to find these processes to reflect on those things, because we don't know what we've got till it's gone. And it's about really writing down, pen and paper, what's important to you. And remind yourself, you know, if family is important, you need to make it a non-negotiable. I think I can't remember what somebody said, but you should show me your calendar, and I'll show you your future. A lot of people put in meetings in there. They don't put things like, okay, that putting a slot in for your family, f- a slot in for your friends and making it an appointment. And I even do with some of my calendar. If I've got an appointment with myself, which I do on a Thursday, spa day, and it's normally 12 till 4, that's blocked in my diary as an appointment to myself to go up to spa with a book and do fuck all. And that's been in my diary for best part of 18 months now that's the best best thing because it's an appointment with myself so put everything in your calendar and it's very easy you know we do it with businesses we do it with important meetings there's nothing more important than the meeting that you have with yourself so put it in the diary i think a lot of people see time that's passed before them as well and possibly reflect on life in terms of thinking my opportunity is gone i think a lot of people or some people a dead uh, a midlife point and they're just a ghost then for the rest of their life and they think opportunities have gone i've met a lot of people like that how how can we give people hope to people who think that my opportunity is gone on i'm too old because i think we definitely also live in a generation where cali jenner is the youngest billionaire on earth and everyone's entrepreneurs at a certain age and it's always the who's the youngest person to do this or who's the youngest person to achieve that and I think that can often put pressure on people who are maybe a little bit later through their life. How can we give those kind of people hope? It's it's also understanding that Buzz Aldrin and all the other astronauts um, walked on the moon at 28. And a lot of them had crippling depression and alcoholism when they came back down. Because if you achieve all your goals and things that nobody else has ever done at an early age... People look at that as a good thing. Sometimes that could be the worst thing that can ever fucking happen to you. Because now what? You know, a lot of people forget that now what? But let's, you know, let's fast forward. And it's about having perspective. Rich Roll, who does an incredibly successful podcast, he said he didn't do his first run till he was 45. He didn't do his first ultramarathon till 48. Didn't do his first podcast till he was 50. And he's talking about all these things that he said that he's now everyone's looking at him as a success. He's like, he in his forties he was an overweight businessman who was sick to death of his life. And his amazing story that he just one day in his suit just went for a run because he said, "I'm sick of life." And that was in his forties. 
you know, so it's having that perspective. I always um, look at the guy who created Marvel and Spider-Man, what's his name, Stanley. Mm -hmm. I don't think he wrote Spider-Man, his first comic, till he was like 68. That's crazy, it's all that imagination. Yeah, 68. And we know, oh, I don't want to get them mixed up. <laughs> Especially my Marvel DC. I guess I'll be like, oh, fucking day. Um, but he didn't have that out till he was mm. in his 60s. People always, always talk about um, KFC. Colonel Sanders didn't come up with a recipe till he was 70. That's crazy. And now look, and it's just like, the, there's always time. Are you going to be a professional NBA basketball player? No. I always look now, like, one of the things I, I like watching uh, UFC, and I keep looking uh, at all the UFC's tale of the tapes, and they're all they're all younger than me. <laughs> and I'm, I can honestly hand on heart say that my professional UFC career is, is going <laughs> fucking nowhere whatsoever. But it, I did reflect on it. I was like, have I, have I, there are, are some things that I've missed out on. I like, yeah, there's lots of things I've missed out on. But I can't change the past. What I can do now is focus on what I can do now. And there's a fucking lot I can do now. And, you know, as I said, I just started jiu-jitsu this year, 38 years of age as a white belt. And, that you know, I've got guys, um, you know, Jack, who's the black belt there. I think he's like a third or fourth Dan black belt. He's the same age as me. But he started at 17. Mm -hmm. And I might say, oh, I wish I started then. Yeah, maybe. But also it's like, cool, well, it takes 10, 12 years to get your black belt. It just means that I'm going to get it at 50. So that's the goal. Um, and Archer's just started. He's, he's four. So it's like, cool. My aim is to not get tapped out with, by him till at least he's 20. <laughs> so it's just changing the goal. And going back to what I was saying, like people forget that when you achieve everything that you've ever wanted and you're 30, you've still got 50 years left on the planet. I remember creating this graphic of going almost there, almost there, almost there. I'm there. And then it goes, fuck. And then it just got the rest amount that says life. And a lot of goals aren't about achieving it. Sometimes it's sustaining it. You know, it's not about losing 20 pounds. It's keeping 20 pounds off for the next 50 years. It's not about achieving financial success. It's maintaining that without the ego and actually going, I got here from helping people. Now I've got more financial success. I can solve more problems. And I can keep the thing that, got me here now for the next 30 40 50 years so it's always thinking that long term so we're here a long time and i think maintenance that kind of maintenance my mindset is super super important because that's the balance aspect keeping what you've got rather than just getting there and losing mm -hmm. it a lot of people have this whiplash effect because they do something extreme like landing on the moon or becoming the youngest billionaire but the worst thing that you've got to do now is maintain that mm -hmm. For some people, if you've got 50 years left on the planet, that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's fucking exhausting. <laughs> no thanks. What are you scared of? So what am I scared of? Um, what am I scared of? First time I've been asked that, what am I scared of? Losing my kids, Maybe. Especially, you know, when I talk about St. Wilfred's, about, you know, spending time with kids with life-limited diseases. And it just makes me realise how how lucky I am, unfortunately, that. But it's a massive fear. You know, I always think about that. Other than that, um, 
heights. <laughs> Not too keen on heights, but once again, I always talk about avoidance versus exposure. Yep. You know, the answer to being afraid of heights is always whenever there's an opportunity to go up somewhere high. I always do. Um, I have a, maybe a small fear of losing everything and starting to get, I mean, like really losing everything. Um, but then I remind myself that I've been through that situation before. And what's that? what that's all about is sometimes just some confidence issues mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where things aren't going ahead. And I'm like, you know, am I that afraid of losing it all? It'll be okay. Fine, we've done, we've done this before. Um, and sometimes I'm kind of interested in that, you know, the greatest lessons that I, I've had in life have come from when shit shit's hit the fan. So actually, you know, once, to set, once again, I ask myself, why, 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 why? And sometimes I, I do. And like, it's very hard to help people with their mindset if you're not in a good place. Mm -hmm. So my fear is of not being in a good place, so I can't do my job. But once again, this comes to the overthinking of going, and it's like, and something that I very much do, like I said with you, Lucy, is just thinking scenarios in my head. And I remember, I've forgotten who it, someone said, it's like anxiety is having conspiracy theories about yourself. <laughs> yeah, that is literally <laughs> what it <Yeah>. is. <laughs> well, it's stuff that hasn't happened. Exactly. You make up those stories and then believe that they're true. Exactly. Um, and it's really understanding what that feeling of anxiety. A friend of mine said, like, have you ever played classic arcade games like... I mean, like um, Golden Axe or these kind of ones, mm -hmm. and and it, and you get to the end of the level, you've got a couple of lives left, and the music changes, and it goes do do, and you can't see the big boss yet. That's what anxiety is. Mm -hmm. It's a fear of what's going to happen because mm -hmm. you don't yet know, and then we fill the gaps in with shit in our head, and during those times, it's learning to clear our mind. It's focusing on the breath. It's allowing these thoughts to pass without judgment. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've been practicing a lot more with mindfulness and breath work. You know, breath work's been amazing for me because it, it for me, I do a couple of rounds of, say, Wim Hof breathing, and it's like my head's like one of those static white televisions. So much noise in there, but after I've done a couple of breath work, it's like turning the volume down and it's peaceful. I remember Naval Ravikant, he said, "People don't want peace of mind; they want pe they want peace from mind." So I'm constantly finding things to do on a daily basis for five or ten minutes that um, give me peace from mind. And I found three things that do that: there's mindfulness, there is breath work, and there is cold plunges. Yeah. And I always take people like. Whenever I get people to dunk in my cold plunge tank, which is ridiculously cold. What temperatures are? Four degrees Celsius. Yeah, that is cold. I haven't been doing as many. Yeah, we haven't. It's just, just weird. I haven't been doing as many because it's been sunny outside. Yeah, ours is like ours is warm. Yeah. Um, but mine's temperature control, so it's always four degrees Celsius. Yeah. But I'm just not because it's it's easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sounds weird. Like I get more yeah. motivated to doing it when it's snowing outside snowing outside when it's november december and it yeah. gets really really oh, yeah, fucking hard um and the same with the sea dips like I, i'm like sea dips in the summer it's just nice in it <laughs> sea dips in the winter horrendous which i, I like it i mean it just reminded me a random story i remember coming out the sea in december and, and someone stopped who was walking on the beach goes 
Why is that not cold? And I said, no, they, like, if you go down there and write, there's a little warm spot. <laughs> and he went, really? He went, oh, <laughs> fucking freezing. <laughs> um, but once again, that's perspective. Yeah. I, I remember saying to someone, you can always get colder. And actually, when you do these things, firstly, you get an amazing rush from doing it because you didn't. no one ever wants to go in the sea. Whoever says they enjoy going in the sea in December is a liar. Mm-hmm. But the, the rush and the feeling that you get after doing that thing, especially in the morning, incredible. But that is building your discipline muscle. Because I have that thing in my garden now, and it's four degrees Celsius year round. I can take it down to two, which I do sometimes, but I never want to go in there. The minute you stick your foot in there, you're like, oh, what are you doing this? But this is exactly this this first voice. It's like, don't need to do this. Mm. You know, I've got about 50 videos on my phone. I can just use another video from last week. It's like, no, we do this. Yeah. And we always feel good when we've done it. So building that discipline muscle on a daily basis helps me deal with that voice in my head. It's the pinnacle of doing hard things, isn't it, the ice bath? Yeah. You, you know that there's something good on the other side of it. You've yeah. got to do it. And the fact that you can sit on your arse for three minutes and get great benefits is a pretty good exchange if you, yeah, if you ask me. A lot of people talk about the physiological benefits, but I'm just more like, I'm more about the psychological yeah. benefits. People, always, whenever I do a live stream, and the reason I do a live stream is if I go live, I have to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> they can't avoid it. That is perfect. It's like, oh, I can't be asked to do it. Just go live on Instagram, Jay. That, that, um, yeah, easy. I think the ice bath helped me in that respect, even with the challenge at the weekend, because I've done ice bath before. Where I think there's a Ben in me, a Ben five minutes in the future that has got out the ice bath and is in great mood. I thought the same when I went down to the challenge. There's a Ben 24 hours from here who's done the challenge and feels amazing. And that was something that I've taken just from doing nice baths. Yeah. I had a really nice question. It's actually from someone who listens to the podcast. And I thought it was a nice way to round up what everything we spoke about today in terms of mindset. And they asked, how can we stop being our own worst critic? If you treated others like you treat yourself, you wouldn't have many others around you. Simple as. Mm. And when you're in a good place physically, mentally and emotionally, financially, spiritually, whatever, you can help so many more people. And that comes down to loving yourself. If you are critical of yourself, it's going to knock your confidence. When your confidence is is knocked, you can't serve others because you're drowning. Mm. I, I, I talk about this kind of mental model of, you know, when people are not in a good place, they're drowning. And what, and what they say is when people are drowning, don't go in and rescue them because you'll end up drowning yourself because they'll be dragging you down. They don't know that they're going to drown you. They're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And I have this analogy of being an expert swimmer because expert swimmers can jump in and save the person that's drowning. An expert swimmer talks well of themselves, looks after themselves, self-care, sleep, hydration, food. Because if you do all of those things you help other people as well. And if we're looking about help, you know, if we're understanding that contribution is the key to success in anything, not only for our own mental well-being, but others too, then we just need to focus on being kinder to ourselves. 
and asking ourselves a difficult question of, you know, if we're, if we're being critical of ourselves, why? Going back to those whys. Because it doesn't help you and it most certainly doesn't help other people. And, you know, I work with a lot of personal trainers and the trouble with being a successful coach sometimes is that you don't get enough sleep, you don't prioritise your meals, don't prioritise yourself because you're serving other people. And I'm like, you, that is a personal disservice to others because you're not in a good place. Mm-hmm. And in order to, for people to have the best of you, you need to be at your best. You need to treat yourself like a million-pound racehorse. Mm-hmm. You know, if you spent a million-pound on a racehorse, you'd feed it the best food, give it plenty of sleep and exercise, so every time it gets to the race, it fucking wins. <laughs> If you're not treating yourself like that, how do you expect to win? Just to follow on to the back of that last question, because I had loads of questions I wanted to ask you, but I think it just reminded me. If that person drowning is a is a friend of yours, then we all have different friends in our lives who some of us, some of them make us feel like you want to go hard, and some of them make us feel like we just want to go home. Like you have those people who drain your energy, and we always hear this quote about the five people that you surround yourself with when is the right time to walk away and potentially lead that person to drown or when have you got to continue to commit to that friend and try and be a leader and pull them out depends where you are in your life you know like you can get too deep in on the analogy but you can always chuck a chuck something in to help them float you don't have to jump in yourself you can always give you know throw them a line but sometimes they might not take that I love this analogy of the strong wind and the sun, one of Aesop's fables. Because a lot of people come to me and go, how do I change a family member when they're drowning? You can't. And the analogy of the strong wind and the sun is strong wind and the sun, they're having an argument in the sky of who's the strongest. And the wind's going, I'm the strongest. And the sun's going, no, you're not. He goes, let's prove it. See that guy on the ground? First person to get his cloak off wins. So wind goes first, blows hard as it could. And every time it blows, the guy sticks his cloak on tighter and tighter and tighter. Third attempt, not getting it off. The sun just shines. And the, the guy starts to get hot. Shines, gets hotter. Shines, decides to take his coat off. And I love that as an analogy. Because if you force your opinions and force change on others, they're just going to hold on to that cloak of change so much tighter. The best way that you can change others is to be the best representation of yourself and just shine. Because there's nothing more motivational than someone coming in the room full of energy and going, fucking hell, whatever that person's taking, I want. Do you know what they're taking? Four gym sessions a week, three litres of water, um, and plenty of sleep. Let's get on that boat then. Mm. Love that. Yeah, that's a lovely analogy. Health. It's tough to steal that one. Sunshine. Yeah, yeah I, think, I feel like we could just pick your brains of wisdom all day. Um, I had plenty more we, I wanted to chat about, but I think um, we've come to quite a natural conclusion. I just want to say thank you for your time and your, your wisdom today. I know for, for even me personally, you've had a, a massive impact on, on my life, both in terms of health and well-being, but also in terms of what I've done with my business and my own personal development, and I know you continue to do so as well. Uh, so I want to thank you for everything that you've given me on from a personal level as well. And no, thank you both. I've really enjoyed today, and as always, Ben, it's awesome to see. You know, from many a year ago, you've always been that kind of one percent person who 
knows that if you just stick to the plan, be consistent, you, you get everything that you ever want. So um, keep smashing it. Appreciate it, mate. Where, where can people find uh, more of you, Jay? Mm-hmm. Um, so where where I hang about these days um, <laughs> is with the kids on TikTok. If, uh, <laughs> if you, I can't sing, can't dance, but I can talk a lot into a mic. So at Jay Alderton on TikTok and Instagram and pretty much anywhere else. Uh, at Jay Alderton. Can we talk upcoming books or releases? Um, yeah, well, I haven't made an official announcement, but I'll be uh, in the writing process for the next six months for my new book, which will be launched uh, August 2024. So stay tuned for that. There's your accountability. Yeah. <laughs> There's my accountability. You've got to do the shit now. Consequences. Yeah. Do the thing. Um, everyone who is listening, I don't know which camera's mine. Is this camera mine? It is. Everyone who is listening and watching, thank you so much. Stay, stay subscribed. Keep leaving reviews. And this is how we get incredible guests on, like Jay. And comment, share wherever you are. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Thank you so much.